Welcome to BA in Science. I'm Maggie. That's Brenna. Hi. And we can't wait to tell you all about a badass human who also happened to be a scientist. And actually this week, we've kind of got a two for one deal today with our BA. Yeah. Because we're kind of covering two people, but we lean toward focusing more on one of them. Is that Mm -hmm. a good way to say it? Yeah. Yeah. And they were both definitely BAs. It's just which one you hear about as we discovered, depends on where you're reading about each of them. So, yeah. Okay, weekly business. Please, wherever you listen, remember to rate, review, subscribe so that other people can find us, especially if it's on iTunes or Amazon Music or anything like that, because then other people can find us. And it's also free. So also favorite us because then you'll get notified every time an awesome new episode comes out. We post stuff on Facebook and Instagram at BA and Science. You can email us. Our Gmail is at uh, BA and Science at gmail.com. I almost forgot our email addresses. That's great. I do. It's not like I don't do this every week, but whatever. True. Um, also, don't forget about our Patreon. You can find a link to our Patreon on Facebook and Instagram, or you can search BA and Science on the Patreon website. When you become a patron of our show, you get early access to episodes, and you also get bonus episodes that no one else gets to hear. And And they're hilarious this season. They're very hilarious. And because we love you guys so much and we want you to go over there and listen to all of our other bonus episodes, because there's quite, there's a lot. I am re-release. I am, well, it's going to be a re-release because we are released to Patreon, but I'm releasing to everyone on our normal feed. One of the mini shows we did over there about questionable medical practices from Mm -hmm. history. And it Mm -hmm. is phenomenal so you'll all get to hear that one and if you love it that is exactly the kind of stuff you can expect on patreon so go over there and find us okay any addendums from last week in our brawl before we get started on our ba uh i don't think so i have a couple just like odds and ends that our you know mom and dad texted us while they were listening oh yeah, yeah, yeah our parents listen and they like to live it's like live tweeting except they don't tweet it they text it to us which is honestly just as awesome um it's so better. apparently dad did not tie his shoes until he was seven which was like third grade for him because he was early so because we talked about how Everyone's like, oh, Einstein couldn't tie his shoes. He's a genius. And we decided that shoe tying was not a good thing to attach to genius or not. It's a motor skill thing. Yeah. So that's ridiculous. And our research department, mom, did a little bit of digging for us. Um, Remember we talked about how Einstein had a mystery daughter that we didn't know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't have time to look into her and I didn't really go down the rabbit hole with her. Yes, but mom did. And so evidently, according to the Googles, Mm-hmm. She had a developmental disability and possibly died of scarlet fever in 1903, or oh, she was put up for adoption. Mm. Interesting. So, and there was a book written in 1999 about this. It's called literally The Search for Einstein's Daughter. So if you're interested mm. in that, that's not something that we really got into because like we said, we there's there was a lot to cover and there's we could go much. down that rabbit hole. That is some information you could find on her. So that's the only addenda. Those are the only addenda that I have for the week. I don't have anything. All right. Well, then let's take a quick break and we will get started right away on our two for one deal of BAs for the week. I am on the bio this week. Well, I guess I should say bio and a half 
because again, yeah. we kind of got a pair today, which we mentioned in the intro. So, yeah. I mean, I really am going to focus more on one person, but the other person has to be a part of it. Kind of like yeah. Marie and Pierre Curie yeah. a little bit. So yeah. Brenna, what's our quote and who are we discussing this week? They were a remarkable pair. Gertie would have flights of fancy. She'd come up with extraordinary ideas. Corey had the ability to put them into concrete questions to answer. And therefore, as a team, they were extraordinary. That was a quote from David Kipnis, who was a postdoc in the Corey group, because today we are talking about Gertie, Corey, and really, you know, Carl as well, because they were a team. We're going to find out. They were peanut butter and jelly. They were all the things of pears that I've suddenly escaped my brain. I, know, I literally used to peanut butter jelly. And I was like, that's the only pear I've literally ever heard of. <laughs> I cannot think of, you know, like I, you can think of things. What that are the I'm- other ones? People use all kinds of examples. Why, why, what is wrong with my brain? Pizza and pineapple is where my <laughs> brain went, which I, which just made a whole lot of people very angry. I recognize that pineapple on pizza is very poor. I don't think my, my brain went to socks and shoes. So. That, which, you know, <laughs> you you can't ever wear one without the other wait so yeah I don't know we we now are incapable of coming up with pairs of anything that things that go together but it's okay because nobody goes together and nothing goes together quite like Carl and Gertie Corey there we go there we go so when Gertie began her career it was during a time when women didn't do science so we're still in that period of time, you know, we're, we're still back in that period of time. Yes. Wandering uterus, hysterical, blah, 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 blah. At the time when she was making breakthroughs in the world of biochem, she was only getting credit because her totally rad husband, Carl, was like, no, she's working on this, too. So that's why we got to talk about him again. Major Pierre and Marie Curie vibes. Because Pierre insisted that Marie get credit for her work because she did just as much of it as he did. Actually, Except did for Carl won't absentmindedly get hit by a wagon. So. And let us praise the Lord for that. Because come on, Pierre, really? That was such a terrible ending, man. I'm still disappointed about it. I know, it still bo- it still bothers me. It does. It like crushed her. And it's just because he was a ding dong who wasn't watching where he was going. Just literally look both ways, bro. <laughs> literally look both ways. <sighs> okay, anyway we digress anyway okay so but today i don't if you've ever heard of the Corys, you maybe have only heard of gertie and not carl versus everyone's kind of heard of marie and pierre curie gertie tends to be more famous of the two now simply because she was a pioneering woman Mm. so in my biochem text that i use i only hear about carl corey and oh okay so if you look at the internet you only hear about mm. Gertie. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So, obviously, as you can see, talking about Gertie means talking about Carl. So, you're going to get info on him, but the focus really is on Gertie here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gertie Radnitz was born on August 15th, 1896 in Prague. That's Czechoslovakia. Well, mm-hmm. Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Yeah. Uh, at the time, though, Prague was specifically part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Mm-hmm. Quick history on that because it's coming up later. Mm-hmm. The Austro-Hungarian Empire started back in 1867 and ended with the end of World War One in 1918. Mm-hmm. 
when it broke up, it got split into Austria, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Poland, and some other smaller countries. And I'm not mentioning them because World War II and the Cold War shook things up yet again. We had much boundary changing during this time. Yeah, yeah but after World War I, Prague was the capital of Czechoslovakia. And then when the Czech Republic and Slovakia split, Prague stayed in the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. So I think of Gertie as On Czech. that side of the country. Yeah, when I think of Gertie as Czech, although mm-hmm. more accurately, she's Austro-Hungarian, if you consider the year she was born, mm-hmm. but, you know. True. Anyway, she was born to parents Otto and Martha, and she was the oldest of three daughters. The family was Jewish, which will come up later because Nazis, uh, but yep. the family was moderately wealthy for the time. Daddy Otto was actually something of a scientist himself. He was a chemist and worked in a beet sugar refinery, having become the guy in charge after devising a process for refining said beet sugar. Mm. That's pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. Mama Martha was described as a, quote, refined woman. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, see, right there, refining, refined woman. I I see that. Yeah. Um, She was friends with Franz Kafka. Mm. His name? I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah. He's the guy who wrote The Metamorphosis. So mm-hmm. that's an interesting connection. Uh, fun fact, Gertie is not a nickname. Before I got oh. in, I know, before I got into this research, I assumed incorrectly that it was short for Gertrude or something. But according to an obituary that mm-hmm. I, so funny story, I found this obituary for her and then I found Carl's. Okay. And those had sources listed in them that referenced me to a book that I bought about famous people who had died and were buried in St. Louis, Missouri. And I know you're okay. thinking, why is there an Austro-Hungarian Jew buried in Missouri? In the middle I'm going to guess that. the answer is Nazis, but you know, 100% on. the answer is Nazis. Okay. And okay. but but we'll, we'll we'll you'll see how that all goes. Okay. But according to this obituary that I read, she was named for an Austrian warship. Oh. Yeah. Was she robust? I don't, no one ever described her as such, which was probably for the best. Okay. And honestly, if you look at her, she doesn't look particularly robust. Okay. She looks very delicate. Okay. Um, But being named after a warship, totally BA. True. Um, In terms of schooling, we can find some more fun stuff out here. Until she was 10, she was homeschooled by tutors. Oh, man. We love a good homeschooler. Uh, and then she went to private school. And when I say private school, it wasn't super academic. It was more like a finishing school. Okay. She was there to learn culture and social etiquette and that kind of thing. But Gertie was super bright. And it was it was obvious to, to people outside of her immediate family. Okay. Her uncle, her mom's brother, was a professor of pediatrics at the University of Prague. He encouraged her to go to university which hmm. seems ridiculous for the time because as a professor he would have known that women were rarely admitted to university but he saw something in her that made him push her toward a push her hard toward a career in science but this was after marie curie had done it right yeah so it wasn't unheard no. of it was just not common you know hysterical. right yeah yeah, yeah 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 So the problem was that the school she was going to, this finishing school, it's not a finishing school, but it was, they didn't call it that, but it was, it hadn't prepared her 
academically to pass the entrance exams to school. Okay. But Gertie, who is now 16, is like, no, I want to go into science, medicine for sure. What do I need to do to get into it? And the school is like, girl, you need Latin, math, physics, chemistry before you can even try the test. So she says, challenge accepted. And okay. yeah, so thanks to a high school teacher, what we would call a high school teacher that she met on vacation that summer and a lot of hard work in less than two years, she did the equivalent, uh, equivalent of eight years of Latin and five years of math and science. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she I had mean, no life. She did. Her life was Latin, math and science because obviously she's going to university. Okay. All right. So she took the entrance exam, calling it, quote, the hardest exam I was ever called upon to take, which is quite something considering where her career goes, but she passed. So at the age of 18 in 1914, she was admitted to German University in Prague to study medicine. She needed that medical degree to do what interested her the most, which was biomedical research. Okay. According to the ACS, the American chemical society quote family tradition holds that gertie's interest in sugar metabolism stemmed from her father who when he became diabetic said to his daughter who was a doctor find me a cure end quote put a pin in that sugar metabolism thing yeah Brynn is going to tell us all about that whole business so time for a meet cute oh my goodness this is adorable in gertie's first year at university, she met a dude named Carl Corey. Mm -hmm. Carl was also born in Prague in 1896, mm -hmm. but what it apparently it's not that small of a world though, because the two had never met until they ended up in, get this, anatomy class together. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. In literally every source I read, Carl and Gertie were immediately inseparable. Not a single source I read on them were like, oh, she played hard to get, or they just chatted. It was like they met. That was it for both of them. They were the- They studied anatomy. They studied anatomy, if you know what I mean. Oh, they must have been lab partners, if you know what I'm saying. They were the Crazy. cutest, cutest couple. So Gertie was tall-ish and slender with brown eyes and auburn hair. She was quiet and aggressive, which I take to mean assertive, but you know, yeah. you know what I mean? But yeah, she yeah. had, quote, charm, vitality, intelligence, a sense of humor, and a love of the outdoors, according to Carl. Mm. And Carl was quite the catch, too. He was tall with blonde hair and blue eyes, but he was shy and kind of content to let Gertie make the impression on people that they met. Gertie kept a picture of him on her desk from when they were both young. And he looks a little bit like Alan Ladd, for those of you who know who that is. If you don't Google it, there is there is a resemblance. Was there. he cute? Oh, Alan Ladd was a good looking dude. He's a movie star. Hold on. Yeah, he's an American actor, total babe. But is Googling him right I'm now. I'm Googling him right now. Okay. And as he got older, not. I'm not digging him. As no, a young Alan Ladd. Hold on. Let me find a young Alan. Uh, okay. Yeah. So for sure. For sure. That like, yeah, American movie star kind of look to him. All right. Very much. Very much. Yeah. So they had a really good first two years at med school together. 
Gertie and Carl studied together, sure, but they spent their free time together too. They went hiking and skiing all the time. Carl was like an avid outdoorsman. Like, I guess when he was young, his father was a director of a marine biological station in Italy, on the coast in Italy. So Carl grew up exploring caves and collecting insects and stuff. He was like a little science kid. Hmm. Yep. Uh, Probably I need to mention here that Carl was from a Catholic family and like everyone did some kind of academic stuff. So he was sort of a, a typical guy. He was kind of like every other guy in the Corey family. They all kind of did sciencey things they were catholics it was you know that was what they did so i said that the first two years of medical school were great and you may be wondering what happened after that Mm -hmm. a little thing called the great war world war one happened Mm -hmm. yeah carl was drafted into the austrian army in 1916 yeah he was with the sanitary corps in italy and he did not have a good time nobody did but he particularly didn't at the end of he the survived. war, he did survive. But at the end of the war, Carl was working at a hospital for infectious diseases near the front lines in Italy. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that we have learned from TPWKY, it's that war is the best spreader of disease. Like they're be- it's better than mosquitoes. Like if you're going to get, if there's going to be war, there's going to be disease. Yeah. A flu epidemic nearly mm-hmm. wiped out the starving army and civilian population. Well, the flu epidemic nearly wiped out like the entire world yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah 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 he was frustrated with the inability of doctors to cure disease mm-hmm. he was maybe a little bit idealistic when he went into medicine but fortunately or unfortunately well fortunately for us the war had pretty much cured him of all of that mm. but gertie waited for him through all of this she okay. actually suspended her studies as well and worked okay. as an assistant in the medical school like doing physicals oh. and lab work and that kind of thing okay, okay. But the war ended, Carl came home, and they resumed their courses at university. Okay. They graduated in 1920 and got married. Okay. But since anti-Semitism was starting to become a bit of a problem in Europe, Gertie converted to Catholicism when they got married. Oh, okay. Mm, Yeah. Mm, Is it okay, though? Put a pin in that. Well, just put it in your satchel. Ethnically, it was still going to be a problem. Yes. So their professional life in Europe was actually kind of brief. Despite the fact that Gertie had converted, she still had that Jewish ancestry. And that was going to make it difficult for Carl to advance in his career. Mm -hmm. Gertie wouldn't have much of a career at all. She worked in a children's hospital, but because post-war conditions were awful, she developed a condition called xerophthalmia. Okay. That's the best I know how to pronounce it. What happens is your it's a vitamin A deficiency. Oh, your eyes get okay. super dry and inflamed and it's really bad. Do you and, eat carrots? Yeah, you just need vitamin A to cure it. But the problem was their like post-war conditions were awful means oh. there was no fresh food. Yeah. So sh- they couldn't get. Well, remember last week we talk about, talked about what's his face, this kid who died from mal- malnutrition after the war. Yep. I mean- it was, he was like a younger guy and he just died because he just didn't have food. Because he didn't have food. Yeah, it was a thing. Yeah. So this was not this was not great. And so she went back to Prague to stay with her parents and eventually with better nutrition, better food, she did recover. But by 1922, the Coreys were ready to get out of Europe. Fortunately, mm-hmm. 
New York State Institute for the Study of Malignant Diseases, which is a very long title. Mm -hmm. It's in Buffalo, New York. Mm -hmm. They called Carl and offered him a job. He went and Gertie followed six months later. Mm -hmm. Oh, but she wasn't given a similar position despite being exactly identically qualified. No, no. She has that pesky wandering uterus thing, remember? Mm, You have to watch out for those. You do. So they were just like, you know what? Just be a research assistant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Carl knew that she was completely capable of doing literally everything that he did. So she would just hang out and work in his lab. And Britta might talk more about this, but the lab director was like, listen here, little lady, this here is man's work. If you don't stay out of your husband's lab, I'll fire you. And you, Carl, put your wife in here. It's not going to look good if you have a woman trying to mess with your important man's science. Yeah. I can't say. Okay. I know, right? I can't say for sure what Gertie's response was, but it was probably like, whatever, bro, because she and Carl completely ignored this guy and just continued to work together. Fortunately for literally the entire world. That was really. I mean, it didn't seem to affect them or all the people that worked for them. So. Nope. They collaborated on everything, even when other people at other institutions gave them the same song and dance about how it was a bad idea to work together, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. They just didn't care at all. So they're rocking along in the U.S. Life in Buffalo is pretty good. They became U.S. citizens in 1928 and learned everything they could about their new country, which I absolutely love. They had lots of friends, both in the sciences and in the arts, which Hmm. I think is cool. They were not just friends with all of their science colleagues, which I mean, why would they be if they were throwing shade about Gertie being in the lab? But they had lots of other friends too, like in the arts and stuff. Okay. But the Great Depression... Hmm comes in and just ruins everything so carl ended up taking a position at washington university in st louis Mm -hmm. but gertie had to get special permission to get a position there with him in the depression era there were rules everywhere against nepotism or hiring someone simply because they're related to you in some way that Mm -hmm. was you know hiring gertie would have been seen as nepotism because she wasn't taken seriously as an excellent scientist apart from Carl. They were like, why would we hire hire her just because she's your wife? He's like, you wouldn't be. You're hiring her because she's a phenomenal scientist, moron. And they're like, I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, the whole thing is stupid. But the guys in charge at Washington wanted Carl so bad that they bent the rules and got her in position with a token salary. Uh Uh-huh. Well, salary, yay, token, not so much. Hell yeah. But better than anything that had come up so far. And Gertie would even things out later, although- Better someone, than a sharp stick in the eye. Well, yeah, she she made up for it kind of accidentally. Okay. Though, so put that mm-hmm. in your satchel too. Okay. Um, I want to fast forward a little bit here because now the science stuff starts happening that Brenna's going to talk about. Um, in 1936, when Gertie was 40, she and Carl had their son, Thomas. So mm-hmm. 40 was a bit long in the tooth at the time to have your first child. Uh, they still call you a geriatric pregnancy today if you ha- get pregnant and have a baby at 40. So They do, which is a disgusting term, and we should be able to do <laughs> no. better than that. It's 2022, friends. Geriatric. Geriatric. I'll give you geriatric. Um, and remember, they are in St. Louis. So we now have the Corys, as I promised, in St. Louis, mm-hmm. Missouri, at Washington in the Midwest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gertie, when she was pregnant, worked pretty much up until the time she was in labor and then continued to work full-time after Thomas was born. 
They had a full-time housekeeper who looked after little Tom, Mm -hmm. but Carl and Gertie adored him. There was a little bit of push and pull between parents and son, though, because he was a first-generation American, Mm -hmm. while Gertie and Carl were very much old-world European heritage, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. You know, but... I mean, it sounds, I mean, every kid has a push and pull with their parents at some point. Yeah. So, you know, I read in one source that said that Gertie would sometimes fret about the fact that Tom didn't seem as studious as she might have liked. Mm. Uh, but Tom ended up with a PhD in organic chemistry. So he wasn't totally lazy. I mean, that ain't no joke. It's not. So, you know, but mothers will worry, you know, how moms can be. So Carl and Gertie, very happy, both professionally and personally in St. Louis. They had lots of friends, again, both in and out of the scientific world. They were just in general, open and inviting people. They were hosting parties in their house and they loved their home, their physical home. They actually loved. They had a garden in the back where Carl would grow veggies and Gertie would grow flowers. They were just well-respected people and very much sought after as mentors. They mentored loads of people and seven of the people who worked under them went on to win Nobel prizes themselves which has Mm. never happened before or since so for those of you who are sports fans and especially people who live in Missouri they're kind of like the Andy Reid of Nobel prize winners Andy Reid is a phenomenal coach mentor and he's the current coach of Britain's making faces he's the current coach of the Kansas City Chiefs Okay. Do you not like Andy Reid? No. Do people in St. Louis care about Kansas City because it's in their state? I don't know. And okay. only part of Kansas City is in their state anyway. I mean, well, there is true. a Kansas City, Kansas. So, you know. Right. But you all can claim him because he's there right now. So, if that's important to you. Okay. So, speaking of Nobel Prizes, the Corys won theirs in 1947. But they also got some bad news that year. They were hiking and skiing in the Colorado Rockies and Gertie fainted. So they were at an altitude of 14,000 feet, though. And the change in altitude sort of accidentally led to a very serious diagnosis. Gertie had agnogenic myeloid metaplasia or myelosclerosis. Okay. Uh, it's a chronic disease and a fatal one. Yeah. Okay, so here's, here's the details on that. As you may know, blood cells are made in bone marrow. They're made in your bones. Mm-hmm. But with this disease, the bone marrow is replaced by fibrous tissue. So there aren't cells there that will make blood. Mm. So the blood making gets moved to organ like the liver and the spleen. Okay. So then you get an enlarged, an enlarged spleen and anemia, low white blood cells, and a lot of other symptoms that are very similar to leukemia. Okay. Okay. Clearly high altitudes will make any symptoms you're having worse, particularly shortness of breath, which is probably Mm -hmm. what happened to Gertie. Mm. Myelofibrosis is how we discuss this disease in 2022. And as of this recording. And so, as I mentioned, it can lead to cancer, but it's not itself cancer. Okay. Okay. Because leukemia is a problem with white blood it's a white blood cell it's a blood cell thing it's blood cancer this is not cancer but it can lead to it okay 
So this disease contributes to death, but what usually kills someone is leukemia or another similar complication. Okay. Turns out that people of Jewish descent are more at risk for this disease mm. than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Younger people who get it can live on for a while without treatment as long as the disease doesn't progress. Okay. Older people usually die of old age before this disease actually kills them. Mm. Okay. Today. Right. But Gertie was diagnosed in 1947. Uh, Today, she would, if it got bad, she would get a stem cell transplant and it would likely cure her. A stem cell or bone marrow? Stem cell transplant. Oh, okay. And it would cure her. Okay. But that wasn't a thing back then. Right. So Gertie basically recognized this as a terminal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Now, she did not die immediately or even quickly. She lived 10 years years oh gosh yes with this disease and getting weaker and weaker as time passed Mm. carl was with her 100 of the whole time though she had to quit smoking so he quit too which i mean come on guys i mean that's just good life choice i know it's just a good life choice she worked daily to the point that you wouldn't know she was sick most of the time at the very end that did change though she told mildred cohen Uh, who I'll talk about later. I'm going to talk about Mildred later. So put her in your satchel. But she said this to her, quote, I don't feel guilty about accepting my full salary now when I'm sick in spite of my frequent absent because when Carl and I first came here, they paid me 10% of what they paid him. End quote. I mean... So remember I told you she'd make up for it later? She did. And she didn't even feel bad about it. And I wouldn't either. And I think the whole thing is completely BA. So So she evened out the salary issue, but only because she was really sick. Mm. yeah not great not great but overall gertie was an upbeat person and living with the sickness didn't really change that despite how sick she really was she had to have blood transfusions to combat the anemia Mm -hmm. but we didn't know as much about antibody antigen reactions then so so that wasn't great Mm. yeah yeah they removed her spleen but that didn't help either By the Mm. end of her life, Carl was literally carrying her, physically carrying her around the lab. I know, so that she could continue to work. Carl. I know. Eventually, her kidneys failed, and Gertie died in her home on October 26, 1957, at the age of 61. Mm. Gertie was cremated and her ashes scattered. Later, her son erected a memorial for Gertie and Carl in St. Louis, Missouri, which is how... I got that book all about the Corys. Um, as a brief epilogue, like a two-sentence epilogue, mm-hmm. Carl did remarry after okay. Gertie died. Um, okay. It seems like he was a guy who really liked being married and, mm. and needed someone to kind of putter around through life. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. Her name was Anne, but it's hard to find a lot about her because she didn't, she, she wasn't someone who was in science and she was, mm-hmm. they were only married until Carl died in, uh, 1984. Okay. So, so that is the high points of the badassery of Gertie Corey and Carl. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that she died so young and so sick, but yeah. she and Carl did make quite a splash in the world of science. Yeah. So I think we should take a break and let Brenna tell us all about just what that is. She's really excited about it, guys. I'm sure she's going to tell you just that very thing. So should we take a break so you can get going? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, Brenna, we need to take a minute to tell everybody about Proton Guru and the MCAT ladder. Yeah, we definitely do. It's an MCAT test prep program like no other. MCAT prep can be super expensive, but this is prepared by a group of passionate faculty who really want to keep costs low. The big thing about the program, though, is how good it is with really excellent concept explanations and visual learning, thousands of practice questions with explanations, and full MCAT practice tests. If you've ever looked into the MCAT, you've probably looked around for complete programs that are made by experts. These courses cost thousands of dollars, which make it super impractical for the average person. MCAT Ladder, though, has over 100 full scholarships available now for both self-paced programs you can start anytime, as well as for intensive and boot camp type programs with dates throughout the year. Right. The whole idea behind Proton Guru and the MCAT Ladder is high quality MCAT prep that's accessible to more people, not just those who can afford thousands of dollars. So go on over to ProtonGuru.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's there. With MCAT Ladder, it's all about reaching down to help others climb up, which is a very badass thing to do. Well, Brenna is going to tell us all about Gertie and Carl's contributions to science, well, at least one of them anyway. I mean, chances are if you've taken a biology class, you've maybe heard of some of their work, maybe studied it. Is that fair to say? You should. Well, I mean... Not if you take like microbiology, but um, yeah, probably. All right. Well, so tell us all about it. Yeah. Okay. So we are in biochemistry land, which as I have said before, not my favorite thing. Like, I think it's really cool. I find the things that your body can do and how it does it to be really awesome. But I do not like talking about it and having to explain it. So I have been putting off writing this episode for literally as long as humanly possible. Yes. And I'm going to keep it short and sweet because, well, I just, yeah, I just am. Okay. So Maggie mentioned, what do you say, like sugar metabolism or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, sure. Like that, right? Sure. Well, that's kind of like your short answer. Like, what did the quarries do? Um, so like carbohydrate metabolism, okay? you know, you've heard of carbohydrates, you've heard of metabolism and, you know, we kind of, people throw around like, oh, my metabolism's slow or, oh, this, or, oh, do this to speed up your metabolism, right? Like, so people talk about it, but like, that's a really simplistic way of looking at it. So yes, talk about metabolism, metabolic pathways and everything else. Okay. So like your body has to take up fuel. Yes. And it converts it to useful energy. Yes. And then usually with that useful energy and other simple precursors in your body, you can make like complex molecules and do all the biological functions you need. Okay. Right. Because you have to make carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, and yeah, there's like a lot acid, of right? Those are the big ones. Yeah. Lots of things. So, um, and there are, there are two types of metabolism that are catabolic and anabolic. So that has to do with whether you're using the useful energy or converting it to useful energy and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. Um, but so basically like you eat food, your body does something with it to turn it into something useful in one way or the other. That's why you have to eat, right? Yes. Because otherwise your body, your body can, we'll talk a little bit about it. Your body can produce some things, um, but it doesn't produce all the things. And but we're not autotrophic. We're not, yeah. we don't make our own. We're not yeah. plants. So you need things and yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so, but metabolic pathways are, they're myriad, they're complex, they span a whole range of things of what you're trying to get out of it, that specific pathway and all sorts of stuff. Like if you just Google metabolic pathways chart, like on Google, like you just Google mm-hmm. it, you'll see these really complicated diagrams of like all sorts of things everywhere. Cause it's, there's a lot of things, but then they all have to work with each other to make your body work. Again, it's biochemistry is cool, but to me, it's just almost overwhelmingly complex. Whoa. Whoa. Guys, I just Googled it. Whoa. Yeah, overwhelmingly yeah. complex does not cover like whoa we'll post i'll post a pic yikes this is why when you tell me i have to talk about this i'm like oh my gosh okay Okay, that's fair okay i I take back one mean thing i said about you being a weasel about not wanting to because yikes it's a lot and i mean so here's the good news for me for today so the quarries um they were all about glucose carbohydrates like we're talking about so that uh revolves around things like metabolic pathways like glycolysis gluconeogenesis glycogenesis like things that i am more familiar with so thankfully it's like a metabolic area that we spend more time at least in biochem one it's like a thing you spend a lot of time learning okay and like maggie's mentioned maggie mentioned gertie's dad supposedly had diabetes and they you know wanted to understand how blood glucose concentration and sugar metabolism and all that worked Mm -hmm. now i didn't like go deep diving into this because again put this off till the last second and you know (laughs) drag my heels to write it but from what I read what I can understand like not a lot was known about any of this at the time um it's like people knew insulin could help you if you were diabetic but I don't even know if they really understood why it worked how it worked where it worked what the point of it was I think that came later yeah so that's kind of how you know the Corey's well, we'll get to the quarries basically help shape our understanding of like all this stuff basically. Oh, okay. Okay. Or a lot of it, but I'm going to talk about it in terms of like what we understand today. And then I'll kind of like where the quarries fill in or, or really develop things. We'll get to it. Okay. Okay. So, there's a process in your body called glycolysis. Yes. Okay. Glycolysis, the short story, the very shortened version of it is you take glucose, it turns it into pyruvate. And you generate some ATP along the way. And ATP is like one of your main energy sources in your body. Yes. Like you need, a, you need, oh, I wish I could remember. I think it's like 70 kilograms, like a resting human being in a day uses like 70 kilograms of ATP or like a stupid ungodly amount of ATP that your body produces to like Yo, function. That's- and that's not even like, I, don't, I wish I had my biochem notes. Um, I should have checked this before. I think uh, my biochem notes are at school, but because I'd written it down, but I'm it's it's a stupid number. Like, I don't know, Google how much ATP you need in a day, but it's like a very high number. Wow. So obviously your body doesn't just like have that sitting around in your in your body, right? No. So you have to make it. Okay. Yeah. So you make ATP and pyruvate. Okay. And glucose is very important to like, you know, life because it is the only fuel that your red blood cells can use. And under non-starvation conditions, it's the only fuel your brain will use as well. Whoa. Under non-starvation. So your brain does start, you know, using other things to fuel itself if you are starving or whatever. Um, but it's it's pretty important. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I remember, didn't like, do you remember your teachers like elementary school be like, okay, here's a mint so that you can have some sugar during the middle of your exam or whatever. But I mean, maybe that's 
not like stupid. I don't know. If there sounds like there's something to that. Having some brain fuel for your exam. I don't know. So another thing in glycolysis that happens is there's another compound called NAD plus. And I'm not telling you what it stands for. It doesn't matter. It's converted to NADH. It's a long, cumbersome yes, name. It, it's very long, cumbersome. I talk about it because I because I teach basic biology to high schoolers. Okay. We do talk about this at length. And yes. so, yeah, it's a ridiculously long word and the acronym yes. is fine. Um, so this is actually a molecule your body gets from niacin, which is one of the B vitamins. So mm-hmm. in terms of like your body has to take in fuel, but your body also has taken all sorts of vitamins and all these other things because all of those... Um, if your body doesn't make it, like we don't make vitamin C, mm-hmm. we don't make, you know, a lot of things. A lot of animals do make vitamin C. Humans and guinea pigs don't. Uh, and birds, there's some birds. Oh, there's some birds that don't. Yeah. There's some birds that don't. I think there might be some monkeys as well. But anyway, um, but like if we don't make it, we have to take it in. But the reason you need those vitamins is because they're often like cofactors of like helping your enzymes work. Anyway, it's really cool and can't go into it. Anyway. But anyway, you have a limited amount of NAD plus in your body at any given time. It's just like you don't have 70 kilograms, however many, however much it is of ATP. You just don't have that sitting around. Right. So once you convert your NAD plus to NADH, you will, you've used up some NAD plus. Okay. And if you want to continue to go back through the glycolysis, the glycolytic pathway, mm-hmm. you need more NAD plus. Okay. Yes. So... Basically, once you make pyruvate, it can undergo different fates and different fates will lead to different outcomes. But in all of the different ways in which it can be processed, basically, you end up with an NAD plus again. So it's oh, it okay. a reaction. So you end up, you you take your NAD plus, it's a redox reaction, but you end, yeah. end up taking your NAD plus back, or sorry, your NADH back to NAD plus. Mm-hmm. And then something else happens. Okay. So one of these fates, not all, like, I'm not going, I don't know, I'm not just, it's too many things, guys. One of the things that can go uh, to citric acid cycle, I'll talk about it in a minute, but one of the fates is to be reduced to lactate, mm-hmm. gener- regenerate the NAD plus. Okay. 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 This would be so much easier with diagrams. Okay. Just like Google. I like I totally get it. Google the glycolytic pathway. Google the cycle. Okay. Anyway. So hold on to that for a minute. All right. Now glucose is fuel, right? And we just said like under non-starvation conditions, like your body, your brain will use uh only use glucose and so forth. But what happens if you don't have any glue like free glucose? Okay. Oh, good question. You don't generally have just like like the reason, you know, if you're talking about diabetic diabetes or hyperglycemia, hypoglycemia, like where is it? But like, you don't necessarily just have all your free glucose, just like floating around all the time. Okay? Oh yeah. It has, your, your body only needs a certain amount. So it's like signals kind of like what to do with it. Okay. Yeah. So if you need more of it and you don't have it, then you can make it. Okay. So there's a process, a glycolytic or a metabolic pathway called gluconeogenesis. Okay. Okay. This pathway takes pyruvate. Mm-hmm. We just said you can make pyruvate. Mm-hmm. Well, you can take pyruvate and you can convert it back into glucose in the liver. The pathway differs in some spots and some of the enzymes differ. And those are like super critical key enzymes to the whole metabolic pathway. But um, we're not getting in, into that. Yeah. Like, 
That's fine. Go read a biochem textbook or, you know, any of my biochem students listening, like, sorry, you're having to relive this moment in your life. But, you know, <laughs> um, but there is basically bottom line is there's control between whether your body is signaling, like make more pyruvate or make more glucose and like in kind of, I don't want to say it can go back and forth because it doesn't just go back and forth, but you have a way to make glucose become, sorry, pyruvate become glucose. Okay. Okay. Yes. That makes okay. sense. <sighs> okay. And so before we get any further into the lactic acid cycle, we got to like put all of this together. I just will point out like other fermentations and other fates of different compounds that your body takes in mm -hmm. all happen. Like not everything you eat is glucose, right? So your right. body can um, take in, there's lots of other complex cart like you know, galactose and lactose and all these other things. And it breaks it down into something that like then can get shoved into some metabolic pathway to get used. Okay. So I'm leaving out a ton here, but we are just going to focus on this glucose to pyruvate, et cetera thing. Okay. Okay. So why am I talking about all this and boring you to death? Hopefully not, but you know, so basically I'm not quarry... bored. I okay. think this is riveting. So, okay. Riveting is a strong word. So basically oh. the quarries connected I mean... dots between lactate and glycolysis. Okay. And how it moves between like the muscles and the liver and stuff. So we got to. Okay. So I mentioned ATP. Yes. Okay? ATP is fuel and yes. it can come from actually glycogen breakdown because, okay. So glycogen is how your body stores glucose when you don't need it. Yes. Right. So like if you have a certain amount of glucose and your body's like, we're good, we got enough. There's like, you have a signal basically. It's, there, there's lots of different enzymatic strategies, but anyway, your body's like, it's cool. I don't need any of this. And then one of the ways in which that can get processed then is basically to get converted to glycogen and glycogen just like it's your storage polymer of glucose so okay. you can make glucose back from glycogen okay so glycogen will get converted to a compound called glucose one phosphate g1p mm -hmm. from there g1p is a compound that's in the glycolytic pathway mm -hmm. it's not glucose but it's in the glycolytic pathway. And so it can like go into glycolysis, it can produce ATP in the muscles and all that stuff. So if you need okay. ATP, you can break glycogen down, go in, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Okay. All right. So then you end up with pyruvate, right? So mm -hmm. if you have plenty of oxygen, the pyruvate will feed into the citric acid cycle or the yes. Krebs cycle, TCA. There's lots of names for it. Yeah. Okay, so Krebs cycle. That. Yeah. And then that makes more ATP and then oxidative phosphorylation, electron transport chain, blah, 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 blah. Yes, and all that business, blah, blah, blah. All that business. And those are all important because that's like really where you get all your energy. Like if you need that much ATP, like glycolysis ain't going to cut it, right? right. So, right. You, you need that okay, electron like, transport business. Yeah, you need a lot more than that. But we're focusing on this little section, section of that ginormous chart that you just looked at a few minutes yes, ago. Yes, it made me very uncomfortable. We'll post it. Yeah. I think there's an actual like database too of like, uh, I don't know, it's a database of metabolic pathways or something, but it's also scary, huge, and I terrifying. don't so want any part of that. Don't Google it. So if you're working out hard, if your muscles aren't getting a lot of oxygen and so forth, you are basically working under anaerobic conditions, right? Aerobic means with oxygen, anaerobic without. Correct. Okay. So like another fermentation you've probably probably familiar with is like you can um pyruvate can become ethanol like we don't make ethanol right but like you know when you my my chemistry students are about to do it or are doing it in lab where we've added yeast which is an enzyme to uh ferment sugar and yeah. it's gonna turn into 
which is, you know, you well, it's, it'll become, it will go in through that pathway and it will become ethanol. Anyway, we don't make ethanol, but we can make lactate under anaerobic conditions. Okay. Yes. Okay. So lactate builds up. Yes. Now what? Now we finally get to the Cori cycle. Okay. Okay. Because it's also the lactic acid cycle. Okay. Cause I was going to, is okay. lactic acid, is lactate and lactic acid the same thing? I believe they are used interchangeably. Oh, used interchangeably is a good way to say it. Okay. That, that I get that. Yeah. Cause I know that we don't want, cause we talk lactate. About so lactic acid would have the actual hydrogen on the lactate. Cause it's got a carboxylic acid functionality on the end. Sounds great. So lactate is like the deprotonated form. But they're, I guess you could, I mean, they're not quite the same thing, but. Well, because like the average person to think about lactic acid or lactate, like when you are a runner and mm-hmm. you're, you are out of oxygen and your, your muscles get all that lactic acid built up. It's not great. Now I have read that that is not true. I went, I briefly looked at that because I was under that assumption too. I've always heard like, oh, if you're sore, it's because you didn't drink enough water and you've got it like lactic, a- lactic acid. Yeah, that's what, up. that's what they always say. But then I was Googling today or, you know, like to finish up writing before we recorded and um, there, I don't know that that's necessarily true. Oh, um, if someone knows more about that, or maybe I'll look in more into it, we can have an addendum, you know, next yeah, week marathon runners hit us up. But yeah, I mean, you can have like problems with lactic acid buildup, but generally we'll we'll get to it, but generally it, it, it doesn't just stay there. So we'll talk about it in a minute. So I have read that it's not, it's not lactic acid that actually makes you sore and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So, but again, very common acid. Well, so a very common like perception of it. So I don't know. I don't know. I would have to investigate that more to say with certainty but i don't know that that is true even though that is generally what i've always heard yeah anyway, okay interesting um okay so you make lactate in your muscles yes and then that is transported to the liver okay mm-hmm. so the core cycle is you've got this lactate in your muscles it's transported to the liver in the liver you have enzymes that transform the lactate back to pyruvate and from there, pyruvate back to glucose through that gluconeogenesis. Mm-hmm. And Bob's your uncle, you've got glucose to send back to your muscles. Then the glucose in your muscles can go through glycolysis to produce ATP, to produce lactate, if you're still under anaerobic conditions. Correct. And so forth. Okay. And it keeps going, you know, cyclically. I mean, it keeps and happening because it's a cycle. In yeah. a cycle. So... Basically, the Cori cycle just like details out how that all moves, like between like the glucose and the glycogen and the glucose, like all the things, wow. all the things. So it's kind of like put, putting that together. Wow. Okay. And so that was really important because again, there wasn't really a lot of understanding really about any of these metabolic pathways and what was happening to stuff, where it was going, why, whatever. Um, so it should be that once you are not under anaerobic conditions, 
if you continue to feed glucose from your liver, like if the lactate goes to your liver, the liver converts it back to glucose and sends it back over to your muscles, it should be that then if you're not under stressful conditions, you're back to aerobic conditions, which means you shouldn't be then generating the lactate. So as you get more oxygen back to your muscles, that lactate shouldn't be building up. It should continue to go trans get transported out to the liver. Right. As in the quarry cycle. Yes. So I don't, I think it's generally not a thing that happens. I think there would have to be something else going on for you to just like have the lactate sitting there and not getting transported to the muscles to okay. or from the muscles to the liver for okay. the liver to process it. Okay. No, that I am sense. not an expert on this. I am literally going off of what I know from like what I teach in biochem. I hardly have any sources because I just was like off the cuff from like my notes in my book. So I think yeah. it's great. So that's like their main thing. Okay. But the quarries did not stop there and I'm not going to really go into it, but because um, most of us have heard of the quarry cycle maybe, and that's maybe it. But in 1936, they isolated that G1P, that glucose one phosphate that I mentioned, G1P. And it is also called the quarry ester because they were able to isolate it. But the isolation of G1P basically led them to identify that an enzyme phosphorylase catalyzed its formation, show that it is in the pathway to glucose from glycogen, mm -hmm. um, that it can be the last step in conversion of blood glucose to glycogen because there's reversibility, like just a lot of stuff. Um, wow. They continued to also, um, they went on to isolate additional compounds and enzymes, I think too, that were basically crucial for understanding of carbohydrate metabolic pathways, which oh. is all around kind of BA. Yeah. The isolation of G1P and their work with that, I think is what they actually got their Nobel prize for, not just like the Cori cycle, but it was okay. their isolation of G1P and some of that stuff. Sure. Um, and then they continue to study just conversion of glycogen. So there's gl uh, glycogenesis is the other one. So there's like another metabolic pathway that in, is the interplay between glycogen going to glucose and stuff or to G1P and all that. So lots of work there. Yeah. But I also did read that um, Gertie spent a lot of time looking at glycogen storage diseases, um, which are terrible and sad and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But she found that four form, she, or she found, identified diff four different forms, and they all resulted from enzymatic defects. Oh. One source I saw, and I'll be honest, this was quoted in Wikipedia. There was a quote for it, but it was a book, and I did not get the book because I waited for the last minute on this one. Sorry. <laughs> But it did say that she was the first person to show that an enzymatic defect was the cause of a human genetic disease. And if that's true, that's super BA because so, 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 so many diseases that we deal with all the time are enzymatic diseases. And it's because you have enzymes that are not doing the job they're supposed to do. Either they're not working properly so these were enzymatic defects or you just don't have the enzymes yeah right like if you're lactose intolerant you don't yeah. have the enzyme to break it down that is technically an enzymatic disease yes um we've i think didn't we talk about maple syrup urine disease we did yeah that's an enzymatic disease yeah. too there's a ton of them and um because our because mod mod was awesome and she did yeah. a lot of the enzymes too she did so but enzymatic defects are God, there's there's so many that are just they're sad i make my biochem students do a presentation on enzymatic disease um they all pick one 
and they're all most all of them maple syrup urine disease kind of funny i mean it's sure. it's not great but it's not awful lactose intolerance i mean when isn't flatulence funny to a bunch of college students i mean but my college students pick all the horrible ones like um like your mps's and stuff like really awful things that are horrible for children they affect all kinds of development and like mm-hmm. outcomes are horrible like it's not good yeah. um but she if she so if she was the first person to really kind of identify that you are looking at enzymes as well in terms of defects that causes genetic diseases mm-hmm. um that's that's probably a pretty big breakthrough in of itself yeah that's pretty um, huge as well so Gertie ended up with um, a bunch of papers, but she had 11 first author articles at least. And she was on at least like 50. Wow. Um, Considering she couldn't even get like, she got a 10th of her husband's salary. Yeah. It's pretty good. So the one place I found, because it's hard to find like, just like a full listing because because they get like double listed or there's reviews and like mm-hmm. Google Scholar sometimes screws me up because it'll list it but it's a citation and anyway mm-hmm. um I don't know if it was more because those numbers I saw from like one of the uh, I think when they were in Buffalo that was like just from their work in Buffalo Jeez, oh, wow so the way the way it was worded made me think that it was but it it could have been so it could have been more but definitely 11 articles she was first author which is a big deal just in general, it's a, it's a BA thing to have first author articles, like you're yeah. just author, but for her at her time and all that, you know, obviously pretty cool. I, like I said, my book talks about Carl Corey very briefly, but mentions the Corey cycle. And I don't think ever mentions Gertie, but yeah, she was, I mean, they, they were a team. So mm-hmm. I don't feel like you can separate, although she specifically then I guess looked at those glycogen storage diseases. So she did do her own work within their lab. Mm-hmm. They just kind of were on the same page about like the type of stuff that they wanted to investigate. Sure. Yeah. So that's, I, that's what I got. Like that's that was great. so complex. And... It is. It's very complex. We knew when we picked this, that it was going to be a more complex science kind of day. We've had some heavy science this season in general. Yeah. So we, but we thankfully we have the Corys to help elucidate and at least make it a le- less complicating. I think so. I think maybe. I think for sure. So, yeah. Very cool. I learned, I learned a lot of things. And some of those things, again, if you've ever taken a uh, basic biology class, then you 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 talk about ATP and glycolysis and glyconeogenesis. You you do kind of talk important, about you know you you talk about all of those things for sure within the first quarter of of your book for sure. Yeah. So you know you've heard of it, but and now so now we have this little sub piece of the Cori cycle, which is very cool. So yeah. I love it. Yeah. So should we take another break and then talk about their legacy? Because yeah. I've got some things to say about that for sure. Okay. All right. Break time. So I feel like Gertie and Carl left a pretty awesome legacy, not just in their Nobel Prize, but in their research too. As Brenna mentioned, Gertie did a lot of other research about some pretty important stuff. So why do we like them? What else can we say about them? What do we think? So for me, the fact that Gertie was only the third woman to win a Nobel Prize, Mm because, you know, the Curie mom and daughter duo did that first. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Marie got hers with Pierre and then uh, Irene got hers, mm-hmm. but she's only the third woman to win a Nobel prize period. And she was the first to win in physiology and medicine. And oh. I think that's just really BA because yeah. finally like about time. Um, <laughs> but I also love that she and her hubby were such a cute team mm-hmm. and they managed to do BA science even like, you know, if you can, I'm sure people probably got annoyed. Like, oh my gosh, those two. Mm-hmm. Like, as we heard, people were like, dude, like you, you can't bring your wife in here all the time. Like, no. But you know what? If you can rock out in the lab with your boo, why not? I know. I totally would. I, I totally would. It. You so, can. Yeah, I just think it's cute. I don't know that my husband and I would work out well in the lab together, to be honest. That's fair. That's love him for everybody. Uh, we do work in very different areas. Mm-hmm, and I, that's don't true. I don't know. I mean, given that when he's tried to teach me to drive a manual, uh, drive a manual or drive stick shift vehicle, mm-hmm. how to bowl, Mm-hmm. Uh, those things have ended in tears. Okay, I just feel like probably not. Then you guys would yeah. not, you not. Like work. I could go when he, because we were in grad school together, so I could like go to his lab. He could show me things, or yeah. when he was working his job, like when he works his jobs, like he can show me things about this instrument and whatever he's working on. We have done some work together, and generally, it's him just saying, "Let me just do this," because I'm maybe not as quick to pick up his stuff so yeah I just just like mad props that they could work together and I think they did do some of their own stuff but just the fact that they could work together and not absolutely like go crazy with each other yeah I think that's pretty cool it's very cool so yeah yeah I don't know I mean and glucose and glycolysis it's you know the core that it's kind of important um it contributed to our understanding of other things yeah you know kind of a big deal so yeah I like them and you know it's just another example of people who got out of germany or the european area where hitler was being a total jerk mm-hmm. so i also love that for them that they got out of that mess and came to the midwest and went to st louis hey washington university man it's for real is st louis still the murder capital no, i don't know i think it is anymore i feel like it's not yeah i think somebody else has that takes that ignominious title yeah Yeah. but for a while i feel like there were i don't know i don't think so anymore okay well you know well i i personally kind of identified with gertie because i based on all the things i read about her and i read a lot about her personality which i'll talk about in a minute I feel like our personalities were very similar and we married mm-hmm. similar people because of the two of us and Brenna, you'll back this up between me and my husband. I'm the one that people remember rather than him, but he's absolutely amazing. And Carl was absolutely amazing, but they just, our dudes were not the guys that were making the impression. It was definitely Gertie. It was, it's definitely going to be me. So mm-hmm they had that similar dynamic to us. And, and I like that they didn't compete with each other. You said it would be hard to work in the lab with your particular husband, yes. but they didn't compete with each other and they trusted each other completely with their mm-hmm. work. So I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that about them because it's not simple, but they really, they really went for it. So I yeah. like, 
Um, I also really like how much info people left us about Gertie's personality. Mm. We know that she loved like one-on-one stuff. So probably part, a big part of the reason that they had seven of their, you know, seven people that they mentored that went on to become Nobel prize winning scientists themselves is because Gertie really thrived in a one-on-one mentoring kind of environment. Mm. She was not comfortable lecturing to a hall full of people. I mean, she would do it, but she really preferred the one-on-one stuff. Mm -hmm. I mentioned a woman named Mildred Cullen before. She wrote one of my sources on Gertie. Mildred worked with Gertie at Washington and remembered how easy Gertie was to know one-on-one. She said, quote, I shall never forget Gertie's first remark when we met, where she said, I understand you are more fortunate than I. You have both a daughter and a son. I have only a son. Oh, yeah. So they were like moms. They were scientists in a time when being both of those things was super tough. So she and Mildred were really close. And she was like, she was close with Gertie until Gertie died. And it was really fun to read Mildred's memories And so I want to leave Gertie and Carl's legacy with this quote from Mildred, which I adore. Quote, Gertie was vivacious and outgoing. Her mind was quick and sharp. Her enthusiasm for and dedication to science were infectious and she supplied enough motivation for both of them. She was a tireless worker in the laboratory, arriving with Carl promptly at nine in the morning, beginning her experiments immediately and continuing until six that evening, totally involved in her research every moment. It was obvious that the experiments had been planned jointly with Carl the previous evening at home. Carl generally appeared somewhat aloof and austere, but never pompous and frequently displayed an engaging gaiety and wit. His intellectual and personal impact was so compelling that he rarely failed to influence those who he interacted with. So that, that is Gertie and Carl. And I really like, I hope that someday if someone ever writes about me and my husband, they write something as kind and charming and just like down to earth as Mildred wrote about Gertie and Carl, because I am not a brilliant scientist, nor is my husband. In fact, he doesn't even want to be, but I just really like the two of them together. They were a good couple that was not toxic, that did amazing stuff. Yeah. And, and people liked them. They had so many friends. I read page after page after page of these books. They were like, oh, they had this friend and they went to the symphony with these people. And then they had these artists come to their house. Mm. They were just involved in all of the art, the culture, the science, all of it of their time. So they were, and because we have a soft, we, both of us have a soft spot for Renaissance Mm -hmm. types. That's true. And, and I think that Gertie and Carl were very much those type of people. So nice. So yeah. So that's Gertie and Carl Corey. And they're totally awesome. Totally BA. Yeah. Let's do sources, which I've already mentioned a couple of mine. I mean, I use like the Nobel Prize website. Uh-huh. Um, there's actually this really cool thing on uh you go to Nobelprize.org, Women Who Change Science and Stories, Gertie Corey. Toward the bottom of this particular site, there's an audio clip of Gertie talking about what scientific discovery is like. And it's so cool because it's an audio clip. It's her actually talking. Mm. It's really cool. So, you know, that the, the, when we post our sources, go to that link and listen to her because she's really okay. cool. I also mentioned the book that I got, like the, the Kindle book that I got 
It's called Movers and Shakers, Scalawags, and Suffragettes. Tales oh. from, yeah. Tales from Bellfountain. No. Well, in Ohio, we say Bellfountain. It's probably Bellfontaine Cemetery by Carol Faring Shepley. Huh? I bought it for $10 on Kindle. It is awesome. Every hmm. single story in there is cool. It is so well written. 11 out of 10 would recommend. You've like get it you've got to get this book it's so good okay. you especially and mom who likes people stories if you are a person who likes mm-hmm. just stories about people mm-hmm. this is you mean biographies not just biography like I, this is it's more story like okay. than than a biography i specifically am saying stories about people because okay. yeah okay. um yeah the american cancer society website um I don't know, just some, the, the book was, oh yeah, Mildred Cohen's book was in there, you know, and then I had this book called Creative Couples in the Sciences by Ooh. Helena, I'm going to say all of these names wrong, sorry, Helena Pissier, Nancy Slack, and Panina Abiram. Very cool science, and this is about couples in the sciences. Nice. It's cool. really cool, definitely would recommend that. Uh, so yeah, so those were the highlights of some of my sources. I got a lot of sources for this one. They're, they're kind of Gertie and Carl are kind of everywhere. Hmm. I use Nobel prize and that ACS article you talked about and my biochem textbook. I mean, you're, you have a PhD in chemistry. So, I mean, this wasn't going to be heavy on the, on the research for you. I don't feel. Yeah. That's what I got. So that's your sources. So let's let's tease next week. Are you ready to tease next week? Yeah, it's not as punny as I would like it to be, but oh, okay. I still feel like it's good. Because the next episode is going to be out of this world as we'll be talking about someone who's going where only men had gone before. So true. Okay, that's a really good one. It's that's a good, really one. good one. That's it's really not good. punny but it's good it's not but it's it's clever and it's wording i like it i like it a lot i'll have more punny ones this this season don't worry oh oh they're coming i got i got at least one up my sleeve so they're coming don't worry yeah well that's fabulous i'm excited for it i'm actually very excited for next week's episode i think you guys are going to really enjoy it and uh and yeah but i think that's all i've got for today do you have anything else nope awesome Well then until next time, besties, live dangerously, do science.